I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When Diplomacy Fails presents Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Fails Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails A project five years in the making The Franco-Prussian War the Seven Years War Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon The Crimean War to When Diplomacy Fails Special on World War One, Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails Special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails Remastered. Welcome, history friends, to another teaser episode, where we examine a point in history that coincides with a project that we have planned in the future. Much like the longer Bismarck examination that we did, this serves a twofold purpose as an episode. The first is that it raises awareness about when diplomacy fails on Patreon, and how you can help us reach the goals which will bring these great stories, miniseries, or biographies to life. And the second is that we get to have an excuse to cover an interesting period in history, we otherwise wouldn't have got the opportunity to examine. At the time of recording, just as a caveat, we are more than $150 off the gold that will bring you guys the Polish history miniseries. But if by the time you do listen to this we have in fact reached it, because you guys are so awesome, then I hope this will serve as a good indicator of what's to come. Either way, whatever happens, guys. History friends, patrons all, I hope you enjoy this episode.
series of events which led the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth to disappear from the map of Europe in 1795 are as complex as they are tragic. Recounting them and telling the Polish story in this century requires us to ground our narrative firmly in an event which served as the catalyst for all others. The primacy of Russia, the defeat of Sweden, the decadence and corruption of the Polish nobles, the vulnerability of the Polish state to external influence, the inconsistent Western policy with respect to Poland, all of these are issues which we will come into contact with during our multi-part mini-series of Polish history in the 18th century. In this teaser episode though, I thought the best way to give you a feel for what to expect from the mini-series would be to introduce you to arguably the most significant event in Polish history in that century. It occurred on one day in spring 1717, in the backdrop of blatant Russian opportunism, Polish divisions and civil war. Sweden was by this stage still the technical enemy of the Poles, though it was becoming clear that Russia had overtaken its once insurmountable enemy in virtually every sphere. Once this event had passed history by, this huge commonwealth of states with its rich and proud history, its enterprising and industrious people, its ambitious and infectious culture, shackled its sovereignty not merely to a powerful neighbour, but to a stopwatch. This stopwatch ticked down for the next 60 years until, using Polish woes as a pretext, the eastern neighbours of the Commonwealth gobbled up vast chunks of it for themselves. A generation later, abandoning all pretensions to have Polish interests at heart, these same powers totally absorbed the Polish state, and for the next century and a half would exert much resources, attempting to cover up the very existence of that state and people. Not until 1919 would a Polish state emerge from the ashes of the First World War, and even then it was beset with problems. Following the Second World War and the Cold War that followed, Polish independence was again wedded to its more powerful neighbour, and Poland's history became a distant school of thought, while Polish independence became a fanciful idea. In 1991, following a groundswell of patriotism and national pride not seen in two centuries, the Poles finally managed to throw off the Soviet yoke as the USSR crumbled across the continent. By 1995, the bicentenary of its third partition and disappearance from the map of Europe not to mention the beginning of its long journey of national agony throughout the ages, Poland had a stable, functioning government, arguably the most stable it had been since the beginning of the 18th century, when in 1717, on one day in spring, everything changed. Today we're going to examine an event referred to as the Silent Same. The Same was Poland-Lithuania's parliament, designed to govern and administer the curious institution which was Poland's elected monarchy and its union with its Lithuanian neighbour. Rest assured, we won't get into the background of how that state came to be in this episode, but in our mini-series of Polish history, we will of course bring you guys up to speed and make sure that we're all on the same page with where everything came from and how it got to the point of the 18th century. I feel that today the silent same is a good starting point for us though, because as tragic and abrupt as the partitions seem to us today, It wouldn't be hyperbole to argue that virtually all of Poland's problems can be sourced from the silent same, which was hosted on the 1st of February 1717. As Russian soldiers stood guard and pressed the Polish and Lithuanian magnates to sign away their sovereignty to their Russian neighbour, it ensured Russian intervention in Poland would become a staple fact of Polish life, and it essentially guaranteed the existence of Poland as nothing more 
than a Russian protectorate. This Polish state with such a rich history and a strong record of resistance, cultural, technological and military advancement, not to mention a history of sticking it to the Russians, even occupying Moscow at one stage and claiming the throne of Tsar for the Polish king's son, would be overwhelmed and snuffed out by their larger neighbours. That this is a fact of history is one which is still painful for many historians of Polish nationality, and understandably so. As an Irishman, I can empathise with their regret, however justifiable, that their state was overwhelmed by its larger neighbours, while others looked on and did nothing. A problem in Polish historiography exists today and has existed for some time when looking at a century as nationally shameful and tragic as the 18th. While the majority of Poles seemed to collaborate with the Russians during that time, as well as the Austrian and Prussian overlords for a number of reasons, many Poles did not and many heart-rending scenes were created and later immortalised by Polish magnates who refused to sign their country's independence away, even while the Russian revolver was pointed at their proverbial temple. The historical struggle is telling the story of these individuals, even while we know they were unsuccessful in the end. The difficulty is telling their story and ascertaining their individual significance as figures, while also acknowledging the unfortunate fact that far more influential and successful individuals acted against rather than for the Poles. For example, the fascinating diplomatic story which will take up much of our time in the latter half of the 18th century is that of the triple set of agreements and intrigues between Frederick the Great of Prussia, Maria Theresa of Austria and Catherine the Great of Russia. These individuals, as you can tell by their names, were the heavyweights of Eastern Europe, and they utterly dominated the Polish state during their collective reigns. In comparison, very few Polish figures stand out to oppose their aims or ambitions, and even when they did stand up and be counted, they rarely made any practical difference to the course of history, set in motion by these self-interested, though undeniably formidable, national leaders. In short, some would argue that it is difficult in a way to justify telling the story of national resistance in Poland, up to the point of the final partitions in 1795, as the Poles who acted were not successful and they didn't even enjoy the support of the majority of the Polish citizenry. Yet one of the reasons why I wanted to tell this story is not just because it's one which isn't told enough, or because the disappearance of Poland is often relegated to a mere footnote or historical reference, while the French Revolution takes up the chronicler's attentions. No, a big part of why I want to tell the story of Poland in the 18th century, tragic and frustrating though it may be, is to unwrap the struggles, the hopes and dreams of those Polish individuals who fought a doomed cause defiantly, often to the end, against a relentless enemy that surrounded them on all sides. It's one that needs to be told so that we don't believe the idea that Poland remained a subservient and loyal tool of Russia for the 18th century. It's important to tell the story because the Polish people today deserve to have it told, if nothing else because of the sheer impact that their culture and kingdom had on Western civilization. The progressive and democratic institutions that characterize the Polish Commonwealth need to be emphasized today so that people remember just how significant and important the Poles were in European history. People need to know the story of the Poles. They need to know that in spite of all the odds against them, Polish history, Polish pride and Polish customs continued even while their homeland became the aching wasteland of Europe. 
It's a proud story, a defiant and rousing story, and one which shouldn't be ignored simply because it didn't end triumphantly in a glorious campaign under an invincible Polish king. There was no Polish Bannockburn, no great event that enabled the Poles to separate themselves from their hungry neighbours. Their revolution was not instantaneous, but built up over time and culminated near the end of the 20th century. A final act of national revenge against their historical Russian overlords, when the Polish culmination did come, it instigated a series of revolts on reforms which toppled regimes, crumbled walls and deconstructed the entire continental system that was the USSR. The Polish national triumph, in other words, takes longer to tell and is arguably harder to find than other tales of national resistance and perseverance. Yet, much like the examples given by the doomed Polish revolutionaries in 1788, 1831 or 1944, the tale is all the more inspiring and poignant because of this. Polish history is a story that deserves to be told, and through our coverage of the 18th century, although it doesn't always depict Poles themselves in the most favourable or proud of lights, I want you guys to remember that although it doesn't happen in a brilliant flash of national light. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Poles do eventually get their Bannockburn. They do throw off the yoke of their oppressor and they do take back their country. And though our coverage is rooted in perhaps the most depressing part of Polish history, it has to be said... You should know that the story does, after far too many agonies, work out well in the end. Thus when we examine the story of the silent same, you should see it as the beginning of the century of agony which was to come for the Polish people. It is a tragedy, and I will always see it as a profound tragedy that the Polish state was snuffed out before the 18th century ended. Our story in this mini-series therefore doesn't have a particularly uplifting beginning or ending, 
but I hope that won't put you off from listening to it. What it lacks in uplifting pieces, it makes up for in drama, intrigue, and of course diplomacy, which is what I hope to focus on even while the story itself tugs at my heartstrings. That being said though, I can't claim to have any special connection to Polish history. I am in no way of Polish descent, at least as far as I know. At the same time, the story of the country has always drawn me in, and my numerous Polish friends and the people I have met from the country when I visited there in 2010 left such an impression upon me that I felt drawn further to delve into the country's history out of curiosity, if nothing else. It may surprise you to learn that before I began When Diplomacy Fails, I had even toyed with the idea of a Polish history podcast, though the fact that sources were, and still are relatively thin on the ground and that the language barrier would be set against me eventually turned me off the idea in favour of something I could seek my teeth into and mispronounce far more languages instead. In a sense then you could view this series as a sample of what I would have liked to do in an ideal world if I was as proficient as say Norman Davies was when he wrote his iconic two-volume history of Poland wherein he exploded the history of that country and brought it far out of the mysterious confines where it once existed, to the point where civilians, myself included, could see for themselves just how deserving of one's time Polish history truly is. A huge thanks is obviously due to Mr Davies then, as I, like so many other historians before me, stand on the shoulders of a giant to bring this story to you. Justification and miscellaneous info out of the way then, the silent same now comes to our attention. If it sounds familiar to you guys, then it should. It occurs in 1717, during the twilight phases of the Great Northern War, which made our episode 7, and which comes in its remastered format just before this teaser. In the backdrop of a prolonged war with Sweden, having suffered invasion on a vast scale in the past, and under the rule of a weak-willed, self-interested and disconnected Saxon king, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was suddenly faced with the prospect of Russian power on its doorstep. The almost instantaneous realisation of Russian power coupled with Polish vulnerability was accompanied at the same time by the decline in another of the region's staples, the Swedish Empire. For so long the triple rivalry of the Swedes, Russians and Poles had ensured that no one power could overawe the other. Yet, ever since the Swedish deluges of the 1650s, Poland just hadn't been the same. And with the decline of Sweden following its gradual eclipse by Brandenburg, Prussia and the decline of French interest in Stockholm which resulted, the unexpected impact of these changes in the Eastern European system was that Poland became more vulnerable to its enemies, who no longer had to contend with Swedish power as much as they had. Though the Great Northern War was ostensibly a coalition war launched against Sweden, and though Augustus the Strong and Peter the Great seemed to desire to work in tandem against their common foe, Swedish power was broken at Poltava in 1709, and after this it was no longer feasible to see Sweden as the primary power in the region. Almost unstoppably did the Russians creep into the south, north, east and west, as the vast landmass once considered their weakness became their strength. No other power could lay claim to the vast open grasslands and steppes, which had once provided fertile grounds for Mongol invasions of Viking incursions. Now the very size of these lands became the greatest Russian advantage. Suddenly Russia was just too large to invade, which Charles XII of Sweden discovered to his detriment during the early phases of the Great Northern War. On the other hand, where Poland's position as the crossroads between east and west had 
once enabled it to expand and define itself as a progressive and massive power far ahead of its time. Now this position represented a series of pincers. It was a state not situated to take advantage of its geographic place on the map, but instead caught between other powers who could all measure the value in taking some Polish land for themselves. When we consider just how powerful Poland had once been, to the point, as we alluded to earlier, that the Polish Vasa king, Sigismund III, had once been able to invade Russia and place his son on the Tsar's throne, apparently ending Russian independence for good by the late 1620s, it seems incredible that a century later the tables should be so utterly turned back on the Poles. However, historical tables rarely turn without good reason, and the Polish decline was based on a multitude of apparently unrelated factors, rather than a simple explanation that Russia became strong and Poland became weak. The silent same represented the watershed moment between Polish pretensions to power in the East and a protectorate under Russia from then onwards. Peter the Great was thus not merely the author of Russian preponderance to greatness, he must also be seen as a primary author of the Polish agony under foreign rule. Yet, Peter, as we'll discover during our miniseries, was not the only forgotten author of Polish agonies. Many other figures, whom history prefers to remember for other reasons, also boast this controversial title, and telling their individual stories is a project that I'm really looking forward to. Thus, the roots of the silent same need to be set in the chaotic circumstances of the Great Northern War, and the transformation of the Eastern European balance of power which it affected. Adam Zamoyski, in his book Poland A History, does this job well for us, noting on the aftermath of Poltava when the roles of the coalition against the Swedes had been so reversed, saying, Augustus the Strong reascended the Polish throne, a little wiser but incomparably worse off for the events of the last ten years. When he and Peter had planned the Northern War on that night in 1898, he had been the stronger partner. After ten years of bungling, he was little more than the Tsar's client dependent on his support and protection. There was no clear way out of the predicament for him or for the Commonwealth, as the balance of power in Eastern Europe had altered dramatically during those ten years. What a difference a decade makes, as Peter and Augustus, with roles reversed, must have now known that circumstances were now vastly different. The aims Augustus had once held for Swedish territory would surely have been replaced with the realisation that Russian power was now inescapable, and that he was the junior partner of the agreement. Apparently aware of the disparity in power between them, Augustus sought a not unreasonable solution. He would take advantage of his original title as Elector of Saxony and incorporate some of his home troops to reinforce his position. Yet the arrival of these soldiers exacerbated the tensions in Poland, and by 1715 a confederation of disaffected nobles and magnates had grown in Poland to oppose Augustus who was by now suspected of attempting to transform Poland into an absolute monarchy where he could position his son to succeed him. It was with great reluctance that Augustus felt compelled to call upon his ally Peter of Russia once more to help him restore order in his adopted homeland. This action would cost Augustus dearly, but it would cost Poland everything. In negotiations held in Warsaw in 1716, The Tsar's diplomats persuaded Augustus' agents that the best solution to his woes would be the evacuation of the Saxon army from Polish lands. Simultaneously, the Polish nobles were induced to place a limit on the Polish soldiers, which Augustus was permitted to raise. Through these twofold moves, as Norman Davies explained, 
The Tsar undertook to guarantee the agreement in the form of a written constitution. In this way, both king and nobility were deprived from the means of threatening one another. By no mere coincidence, they were also deprived of the means for resisting the encroachments of the Russian Tsar, who henceforth could legally intervene in Polish affairs at will. The terms, agreed in advance, were to be put before a meeting of the same, sworn to accept them without debate or protest. The operation was completed on the 1st of February 1717 in less than one day. The silent same, surrounded by Russian soldiers, signed away Poland's freedom for the duration, and no voice was raised against it. In many ways, and no voice was raised against it, sums up Polish history for the next 300 or so years. With some notable exceptions, Peter had coldly engineered the political and military dominance of his state over that of his ally, and Augustus was, by 1717, too reliant on Russian power to resist the move. While Augustus had sought to hold on to his realm by any means, the fears and concerns of the Polish nobility at Augustus's intentions compelled them to sacrifice their organisational and administrative independence to Russia in return for Peter's reduction in Augustus's independence as a sovereign ruler. Augustus would never be able to put into practice the probably exaggerated fears of the nobles that he planned to install an absolutist regime in Warsaw, but the Polish nobles would never be able to reform their nation again without Peter's approval. As Davies observed, By venting their spleen on their harmless Saxon king, the Poles saddled themselves with a protector whose absolutist pretensions were clear for all to see. It was, in many senses, a self-inflicted wound, as much as a wound inflicted by Russia and a bumbling Saxon king, which eventually bled the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth's independence dry. In our mini-series, we will analyse this story as it progressed from intrigue, to victim, to vassal, to resistor, and then to extinction, as the 18th century took shape and determined the course of Polish history. So, I hope you guys have enjoyed this foray into Polish history, and that after my explanation and justification for this project, you feel like it's something you'd like to see appear in the feed. A reminder, guys, that the best way to ensure a Polish miniseries on the 18th century becomes yours is to support the podcast on Patreon. All diplomats, you should know, will have first dibs on this project once it's released, and while the regular listeners will still get it weekly alongside our regular scheduled programming, Diplomats will be able to binge upon it all at once. So yeah, thanks again for listening to this teaser episode on Polish history, and I hope you'll listen next to our remastered look, and I hope you'll listen next to our remastered look at the War of the Polish Succession. My name is Zach, thanks for listening, and I'll be seeing you all very soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.